I, introductions make me seem a whole lot cooler than I am. I'm, I'm not that cool. Just ask my wife. <laughs> Can we have fun this morning? You know, I always share this in every message that seriousness is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me say it again. Seriousness is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, God's not serious. I can prove it to you. He created you. <laughs> Take a selfie and you'll realize his sense of humor, okay? Before we jump in, I want to celebrate just what's happening and publicly acknowledge that I believe our nation is in a spiritual awakening right now. And, and, and I, I want to say that because I, 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 you know, I wasn't alive in the Jesus movement, obviously. Um, I know some of you were. Um, even if you don't raise your hand, I can just look at you and tell you you're alive in the Jesus movement. You lived historic times, but, there, but there's two narratives that you always hear. You hear, I was there. I remember. And then you hear, what are you talking about? Same group of people alive in the same time, but some people acknowledged what God was doing. Other people were oblivious. And I want to acknowledge a few and honor a few movements that have happened in our generation. In my definition of generation, I know we speak a lot of millennials and boomers and Gen Z, but I, I also believe that if you're breathing, we're a part of the same generation. I'm a part of the same generation as my almost 80-year-old grandma who's still alive. I, and I want to acknowledge that in our time, we have seen historical things, you know, YWAM, which started in Los Angeles in the 60s. Lauren Cunningham, they just put out a post. He probably, I don't know, maybe has weeks left with stage four cancer. Started YWAM in the 60s, believing God would touch the ends of the earth with four missionaries. Now millions of missionaries have gone forth from YWAM in our generation. That was in our generation. What about the call? You know, Lou Ingalls, a spiritual father of mine. I don't know if you can tell, my voice is a hair raspy. I just don't do this. Maybe I should, I don't know. The call that gathered for 20 years, where 1999, Louis goes crying out to God, how can I turn America back to you? And 470,000 young people filled the National Mall in 2000. In your generation, I have a guy that rolls and he, he helps lead Gen Z for Jesus. He was there at the mall at age 11 years old. Now is a forefront leader. What about C-Fan? Reinhard Bonnke, who's passed. 77 million came to the Lord through his life in your generation. I want to acknowledge Asbury. I believe Asbury was a sovereign move of God. Why? We honor what God does. How many of you ever given a gift to somebody before that, that they overreact? You ever, you, ever, you ever done that? Like you ever give a gift and you know there's certain people that when they get a gift, they're just extra excited. They're like, Shh, oh my God. And you're like, it's just socks. You know, like... But their excitement provokes you to say, hold on, let me go buy you another pair. I believe that our excitement and honoring of what God is doing provokes the Father to say, let me give them more. But here's the good news. That God's ability to fulfill his calling in your life is far greater than your ability to screw it up. This is why we must operate from covenant. I don't know if you know much about that word covenant. We see that word played out in marriages. But a lot of times we don't see those marriages live out that word. But let me explain covenant and why it's important. 4,000 years of the Old Testament proved one thing. Humanity sucks. We can't figure it out. We promise God things. We fail. And all of a sudden God says, okay, I, wanted, I desire to make a covenant with man. Man cannot uphold its side of the deal. How many of you agree? 
So what does he do? He becomes a man and he makes covenant with himself to fulfill his calling. This is why his ability to fulfill what he's doing right now is far greater than your ability to screw it up. But you got to understand how real and how raw the Bible is. You know, I, how many grew up in church? Anybody grew up in church? Is this keyboard on? Turn it off for me real quick. How many grew up in church? Raise your hand. Like you, like you were, no, no, you really grew up in church. Like you were born in the pew. <laughs> the ushers delivered you, right? How many grew up and you read these Bible stories, pop-up books of Noah and the ark? And, and we, sometimes we romanticize the Bible. Is this on? Okay, great. We romanticize the Bible and we imagine this is how the stories were, story of Noah. Noah. This is God. Build me a bus. That's not how it happened. There wasn't a keyboard. It wasn't romantic. It was real. Do you imagine how dumb he looked? His buddy's like, hey, what are you doing, man? Just building a boat. Why? It's going to rain. What's rain? I don't know. Imagine. Imagine if Moses was here this morning. What his testimony would look like. Hey, influence. Good to, good to see you all. Uh, this burning bush was talking to me outside. Somebody would be like, Moses, are, are you burning the bush? Bro, are you? I'm in California, right? I was born and raised. I was actually born in Anaheim, if you didn't know. That was crazy. But anyways... You, you got to understand how real the Bible is because if you romanticize it, it becomes this thing that's not obtainable. You, you know, you think that you need the band to go home with you to live for God or you need your pastor there all the time. and That's just not the case. I believe your pastor's heart is that you would be empowered in rooms like this to live out your faith every single place you would go. I want to share a few stories before I jump into the Bible. But before I share this story, I just need you all to just take off your political hats for a moment. This is not a political story but it involves politics to some degree. Hope that's okay. Uh, I, in 2018, I was invited somewhere that I never thought I'd be invited to. Now, I came from a broken family, divorced home, and so I was invited to this fundraiser that was taking place for orphans uh, in Africa, and I was, I was invited just to come. There's gonna be a lot of people there, but it happened to be held at Merrill Largo in Florida where when President Trump was still president, and so we ended up going to this to this get together and, and there was rumors that he was gonna be there. And so I just want you to know that I honor administrations regardless of the political party. I pray for whoever's in office, okay? So whether it was previous administration, now, but, but we go there and I mean, the possibilities of, of, of a president of the United States being there is pretty cool. So we, we get there and I'm with one of my friends, his name is Nick Vujicic, have you ever seen him? He has no arms and legs. And so I'm with Nick and so uh, we, we get there, and we, we're in, like, tuxedos. We're on this bus. And because President Trump was going to be there, Secret Service is there. They have to check everybody. They're wanting us down. They finally let us in. And I go into, like, the backyard of Mar-a-Lago. And remember, this is just a fundraiser, so there's, like, food everywhere. There's mountains of sushi. There's, like, lamb chops. But I have one question. Is it free? I am not trying to get a bill. You know what I mean? So I, I, you, everyone knows I don't belong here. You know? So I'm just, I tell, I tell one of the waiters, I'm like, hey, is that free? 
They're like, yes. I just start loading my plate, right? <clears throat> I don't even know what it is. I'm loading everything on it. I didn't know it was the appetizer. But so I'm eating as much as I can because I didn't know if I was going to eat later. And I, apparently I was. So we end up then moving from the outside backyard. We go into like this transition room where there's like harp players. Like you're going to dinner. I mean, you come to my house, you're not getting harp players. You're getting a Bluetooth speaker, you know? So we go into this transition room and then into the massive dining hall. And I knew that I was in a rich, fancy place when there was a plate for the plate. I grew up in a divorced family. My father, it was illegal to use glass plates. We used paper plates, plastic forks, and pixie cups. I mean, that was, right? He was not doing dishes. So I go in and I'm sitting down. There's this plate and we eat this food. It's amazing food. And so I get done and I go over with Nick and I'm just standing with Nick and we're talking. If you don't know Nick Wojcik, he actually has um, a, a little foot. He calls it his drumstick. If you've never heard Nick's story, it's phenomenal. He was born with no limbs, but when kids ask him what happens, he says cigarettes. So <laughs> he actually tells his story where he was, he dressed up as a pilot and he stood outside a plane greeting people. And as people were coming in, he's like, how are you doing? We're going to be testing some new technology today. <laughs> so I'm with Nick and we're, we're here in, in this place. And all of a sudden this guy runs in and he goes, President Trump is coming. President Trump is coming. And I'm like, Nick, President Trump is coming. He goes, he's not coming. I go, he's coming. Well, let me see. And I look and as far as the eye can see, his hair was shining as bright as the morning. So, I mean, it was, I'm like, Nick, it's him. He's like, so he starts zooming his thing and secret service just start coming into the room. Everybody back, everybody back. But Nick's like, just goes right through. I mean, you're not going to push a guy back with no limbs. So he goes right through and then his caretakers, one of my buddies tells secret service, I'm with Nick. And they're like, go ahead. I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm with Nick too. It's like, go ahead. So I go in and I'm standing here. It's me, it's Nick and it's president Trump. And I'm thinking to myself, how the heck did I get here? Now, I'm not much of a selfie dude, but that day I'm like, my mom's never going to believe me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how did I get here? And I was like, oh, it was because of him. Some of you are like, the Lord. No, Nick. <laughs> All you religious, it's the Lord. No, it was literally because of Nick. I'm standing there with Nick. And I thought to myself, this must have been how the disciples felt when they were in situations that they probably shouldn't be at, but because of who they were with, it opened up a door that probably never would have opened up prior. You know, over the years, I've made some incredible friends. One of the good friends that I have is a guy named Todd White. Have you ever heard of him? Long dreadlocks. And I remember the first time I met Todd, I was at, I was actually in Northridge and we were doing a small meeting with Lou Engle and some of the circuit riders and this kid runs in, he goes, hey, this guy named Todd White's out in the parking lot. I'm like, bro, Todd White's not here. Like, there's no way he'd be here. Like, he doesn't even know we're here. I go, but hey, we're meeting right now. Thank you. He goes, no, 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 Brian, Todd White's here. I go, bro, Todd White's not here. He's here. I go, what does he look like? He got some dreads. I'm like, oh my God, he's here. Move. So I go outside, and I remember the first time I met him, because he was there. He's like, hey, buddy. You know? And so I just, I give him this hug, and his dread goes in my mouth. And I don't know how anointing is transferred, but I'm like, I don't <laughs> I tell him that story. And anyways, we become friends and 
whenever he came into town, he'd give me a call. He'd say, hey, come pick me up. So one time he comes into Los Angeles and I pick him up and we're driving from LAX to a church. And I was having a rough day that day. And so I look over at Todd and I'm like, man, have you ever had a bad day? He goes, not in 10 years, buddy. I'm like, yeah, me either. <laughs> so we're driving and all of a sudden as we're driving, this, this motorcyclist in front of us loses control of his bike. He falls and starts sliding on the, on the freeway. And Todd looks at me, he goes, stop the car. And I'm like, we're, we're on the freeway. He goes, hey, buddy, stop the car. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what y'all do on the East Coast, but we don't stop cars on the West Coast, on LA. And he goes, hey, buddy, stop the car. I'm thinking, he goes, it's like Peter, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? If you didn't laugh, you don't read your Bible. So <laughs> I know those who don't read their word because you don't laugh at other biblical jokes. Anyway, so we're driving and, and I pull over and Todd jumps out of the car and he starts running on the freeway. And he goes over to this guy, he picks up his bike, he moves it to the side. I jump off and I run over to him and I walk into this conversation that Todd's having with this guy. I mean, the conversation was this. So this guy just wrecked his bike. Todd is there, the guy's here. And Todd's telling the guy, hey buddy, you need Jesus, man. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the worst time to tell anyone. I mean, imagine you're like friends riding a skateboard, full scrapes his face, you're like, hey, you need Jesus, man. It's, most people in America, if we're honest, when we go preach the gospel, we take someone to Starbucks. Oh man, how'd this get here? <laughs> you know, like this was bold. So he starts telling him about Jesus and the guy goes, I don't got time for that. Todd goes, you almost died. You think it's time now? And I was like, ooh, he got you. you know? And the guy goes, my parents go to church. Todd goes, I don't mean nothing. You need Jesus for yourself. Todd, the guy goes, fine, I'll receive him. And I was like, how'd you do that? Like, so he leaves the guy to the Lord. He then says, wait here, I'll be right back. He goes back to my car. I follow Todd because I don't want to awkwardly be standing with this guy. Like, hey, how's your, how's your bike? You know, so I, I go back and Todd opens up my trunk. He grabs all of this cash and he goes back to this guy and he says, buddy, all your life Christians have robbed you. He goes, yeah. He goes, they've been hypocrites. Yeah, they have. He goes, my father is no thief. And he puts the money in the guy's hand and the guy just begins to weep. And he goes, who's your father? And I'm like, who's your father? You know? It was a moment that I was in because of who I was with. I want to tell you one more story. There was another time I was with Todd. It was me, Todd, and one of my buddies and we're driving. And I don't know what it is about motorcycle accidents. We seem to attract them. So we're driving. We're in the commuter lane. Motorcyclist, guy in a truck. Guy in a truck moves over, hits this guy. The guy starts rolling. I look at Todd, I'm like, stop the car. I already know. So I pull over and we get over and it's this biker dude. I don't know if you throw that picture up. My buddy actually took a picture of this for those skeptics in the room. But we get there and there's this biker guy. You can see my face is full of faith. <laughs> and the guy's leg is this way and his foot is broken this way. He's screaming every cuss word you could possibly think of. So we get there. I've never been in a situation like this. I don't stop on freeways, number one. I don't really talk to biker dudes with their foots broken like this. So Todd goes up to him, and the first thing Todd says is, hey, buddy, you need Jesus, man. I'm like, bro, he needs an ambulance. Like, like <laughs> do you see that foot? And the guy's just cussing. And I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And there's like blood in his eyes. It's, it's... So the guy, Todd says, can I pray for you? And the guy goes, sure. I mean, what's he going to do, run away? He's, he's stuck there. <laughs> so Todd starts praying for him. The police come. The ambulance come. The police are like, get away. And I'm like, 
Todd's like, he needs Jesus, man. Get away! He needs Jesus. I'm like, Todd, you're going to meet Jesus. Get away, dude. So we get back in the car. We drive away. And I felt pretty good about myself. I felt like, man, you know, I stopped voluntarily. I look over at Todd. He just looks distraught. I'm like, are you good? He goes, I just wish I had more faith. And I'm like, man, if you don't got faith, I don't even know what I have. You ever meet those like really old ladies in the church? They've been there forever. And in the back of your mind, you don't ever say it, but you think if they don't make it, we're all screwed. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like the sweetest old ladies in church, like if they don't go to heaven, do none of us. I'm just playing, I'm just playing. that's a joke. But you get what I'm saying? It's one of those moments I'm like, if you don't have faith, I don't even know what I have, dude. So about a year later or so, I get a message from one of my friends named Alex, and he's a pretty well-known tattoo artist, and he goes, you're not gonna believe the email I got today. And so I actually posted that picture a year prior. He reposted it. And the email said this, Hey, Alex, you probably don't remember me. My name is Uriel. You tattooed me years ago. He goes, but, um, you know, you're a good artist. I'd love to come back to you. P.S. It's really crazy that you reposted a picture of me. He goes, I'm the guy who was on the floor in the, in the accident. He goes, I'm not sure if you know those two guys. But if you ever see those two guys again, could you tell them I'm now a Christian? I now follow Jesus. So I said, bro, when are you going to tattoo this guy? Because I need to get like actual factual information. So I'm not like telling some fake story here. Like, so he, when he goes to tattoo him, we call him because he's, he's stuck in the chair so he can't go anywhere. So we call the guy. We're like, what happened? And he goes, well, he goes, when that, when that truck hit me, he goes, my, my foot was broken. I couldn't even tell. <laughs> He goes, and what you probably didn't know was it was blood all in my eyes. And so the only thing I could see was silhouettes of you guys in the sun. He said, and all of a sudden, there was this man with long hair over me. It was Todd, not Jesus. <laughs> he goes, and when he was praying for me, wings appeared behind him. And I knew that God was real. You know, Jesus... His desire in the scriptures, you can see it by the way he lived, was that all of his buddies would write history with him. Not that he would write history for them, but he'd write history with them. There's a difference. You could see that. His desire, I mean, even in him saying, greater things will you do, his desire to write history with his friends was great. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is gathering with his disciples and thousands descend upon his meeting. Thousands, I want to read this to you really quick. It says here, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. John chapter six, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Verse five, therefore Jesus lifting up his eyes, seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, said to Philip. Now how many of you know that you don't really hear about Philip too much? It's not like Philip, like, and Philip walked on water. I mean, he didn't, like, there wasn't too many things that you really read that were like, like Peter. You know what I'm talking about? I can imagine Jesus is in this moment, and he's like, I'm going to get his name in the book. We're going to write history. He sees this tangible problem of people that are hungry. He says this, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Okay, you, you following me? It says this, where are we to buy bread? So all these may eat, verse 6. This he was saying to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for everyone to receive a little. 
200 denarii worth of bread was eight months worth of paychecks. Are you following me? Jesus, hungry crowd, Philip. Where are we going to buy bread so that all these may eat? Philip answers, we can't do this. Like, like, like even if you had eight months worth of checks, you, we can't feed these people a little. And then all of a sudden in the next verse, there's an interruption that takes place. I want to read this to you really quick. It says here in verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew. Who's Andrew? Who's Andrew? Doesn't that suck that you're known as the brother of Peter? Let's be honest. How many have siblings? Hey, you're Jake, brother of John, right? No, I'm just Jake, right? He wasn't like Andrew the one who walks on water, Andrew, the one who sees miracles. I mean, he was Andrew, the Bible says, Simon Peter's brother. And imagine that your sibling walks on water. Your sibling has the revelation of who Jesus is. Your sibling gets to go to the VIP meetings on the mountain of transfiguration, and then there's you. I could imagine because they were brothers, after long walks of seeing Jesus perform miracles, there was probably nights they laid down together. Andrew, Peter, what was that like, man? I mean, would you not ask your brother? What's it like to walk on water? I don't know what Peter would have said, but I could imagine the inside of Andrew's heart longing to, to write history. I can imagine Andrew waiting for the opportune moment for him to have his day. And all of a sudden, Jesus is having a private conversation with Philip. And you got an e eavesdropper, Andrew. Because the only way for Andrew to have known when to interrupt that conversation is he must have been. So he interrupts his conversation of doubt with the oddest phrase, if you ever read it. Can we feed these people? 200 denarii's worth is not sufficient. Andrew interrupts with this. Jesus, there's a boy here. Imagine your pastor's in a conversation. Pastor, there's a boy here. He'd be like, good job, Brian. There's a lot of boys here, right? He has fish and bread, but what are these for so many? That's what he says. You following me? Let me pause for a moment. I don't want to talk about Philip, Andrew. We'll talk about Jesus, but give me a moment here. I want to talk about this boy, unnamed. How many of you grew up in church? Raise your hand again. How many of you at one point in your life was forced to go to church? Be honest. There's healing for you this morning. Just kidding. How many of you know this is how it looks like here in the West? Hey, get up. We're going to church. You got 15 minutes to get ready. Right? I mean, you want to like watch cartoons, eat Captain Crunch, and chill, right? Well, if you've been forced at one point to go to church, I guarantee that probably happened back then too. Could you imagine this boy's mom? Hey, get up. Jesus is talking. We've got a three-hour walk. Let's go. I mean, I don't know how long it took, but I could imagine that boy. How many of you got parents that would make you go to church? 
but not just go to church. They were the parents that loved to sit in the front, but they always got to church late. You know those parents? The doors are always so noisy. And then you do the walk of shame. Ushers. I'm just playing. But this boy, can imagine him getting there. And they had to have been in the front because there was no way that Jesus could have seen them in the back of 5,000 plus. Can imagine that boy's walking through the crowds. But it's fine because he got one thing on his mind, his Jewish Lunchable, fish and bread. I know most of you, that's where your mind is right now. What are you gonna eat after service? And he gets to the meeting, Jesus looks at him and says, hey, can I have that? The boy's not like, what are you talking about? The boy gives up his lunch and history is written forever. We have glamorized so much that this is the result of God using you. This is not the goal. We've glamorized so much speaking abilities, musical talents. I could never sing like Bailey, ever. Even if I tried, if I dyed my hair blonde and grew it out, I could not do it. There's no way. There's no way some of you are like, I, don't, I can't speak like that guy, right? I don't know if I'm gifted like that. This Bible verse shows me one thing, is that God doesn't need these grand skills to write history. If he could change history with the lunch, what could he do with the life? You know, Nick, I talked about him earlier, and you might not know this about Nick, but when he was in high school, he was greatly bullied. He even wanted to take his own life. He tells this story, and one day he's in his high school, and a guy comes up to him. Now, you've all seen these guys before. They look like this. Janitors, you know the ones that you kind of walk by, you don't really ever greet, we're not really thankful too much for them, sadly. But one day this janitor stops pushing his broom and looks at Nick and says, one day you're gonna speak all over the world. Nick's like, I have no limbs, how will I speak? Shortly after that, Nick goes and preaches to his Bible club in his high school and two kids show up. One of them starts crying and he knows he's called of God. Nick Vujicic has now preached to over 700 million people. 1.2 billion, hold your claps, have seen his videos. Because when the earth seen a janitor, heaven seen a prophet. This man didn't have a microphone, he didn't have a platform, he didn't give a prophetic word from a stage. He was a simple janitor that offered up something so simple, his encouragement. You know, I got saved at 16 years old. This guy invited me to church. I said, I don't do church. I don't go to church. Thank you. He goes, awesome. Do you want to go next week? I said, I don't do church. I don't go to church. Thank you. He goes, how about the week after that? Finally, I said, I'm not going to your church, man. Thank you, but I don't do church. He goes, I'll make you a deal. I said, what? He goes, come to church and I'll buy you a smoothie. So what time does church start? I go that night. And in the back of a room, I meet him. 
I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. I come from an abusive family, divorced home. I don't stand up here from a legacy of pastors. I'm actually one of the first Barcelonas that is pushing through all of my generational junk so that my kids could experience a different life. No, no, no. You ever wonder why it's so hard for you? Because maybe you're the first one that's breaking through all, you know, my kids, all I seen growing up was abuse. All I seen was holes in the walls, blood. I remember going to my room weeping, breaking all my toys because I knew what was happening outside of that door. You know, all my kids have grown up around is revival. When Lou Engle comes to the house, my son, Papa Lou! I take my kids on these, to these stadiums and I say, look at that. That's what God is doing. They know how to hear God. They know how to pray. They know how to invite the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't because I had this grand gift. In many ways, I was this boy. That guy that brought me that night, he wasn't a famous evangelist or a preacher. He drove a bimbo bread truck. He delivered bread. But that night, he delivered a different kind of bread to me. He never would have thought that that 16-year-old boy would have got saved. He never would have thought. He never could have imagined that my life would go on to preach in high schools all over America and that I would see God do more with the broken parts of my life than the whole ones. And this morning, I simply want to say this, that all of you are qualified. Because if Jesus does stuff with a lunch, I'm pretty sure you got more than a lunch today. For the fathers in the room, I know it's discouraging at times when you see the failures of your own life. When you think, man, I wish I could have done better. It's not too late. For the mothers, you feel like you've tarried so long for your husband to be who God's called them to be. It's not too late. Everyone is qualified. I was born in Anaheim, California. This was a place before I was born and when I was born that the abuse started in my family. And I'm not here today. Alan's introduction was very kind, but I know where I come from. And I know that the moments that I haven't had faith, the moments that I said, God, are you, are you really sure you want this? And every time I have those moments, this is what I do. If you really want my life, I don't have much to give because you give me far more than I give you. But here it is. And this morning, I want to invite you to do the same. If you got gray hair in the room, you are not disqualified. Nowhere does the scriptures give you the permission to go retire and forget about everybody. It doesn't say, and Jesus retired and he played golf with the Father all the days of his life. You know what he's doing right now? Jesus is interceding for you. He's interceding because the work is not yet done. It is still being fulfilled here on the earth. The gospel is still being preached. You grandmothers and you grandfathers, don't you dare quit on us right now. The older you get, the more permission you have to be crazy. That's my opinion. I had a praying grandma. She put oil on everything. Doorposts. Couldn't even open up the doorknob. Full. I don't even know if it was real oil. It might have been Crisco. 
She was cheap. Oil on my friends, on my foreheads, on my shoes. I'd walk out at three in the morning. She'd have a blanket on. Me praying in this language. I'm like, what are you doing? And God apprehended me. Will you stand with me this morning? Real simple. We okay on time? Real simple. Would you lift your hands all over this place? I hope you wore deodorant this morning. Just keep them lifted. Whatever it is, listen, I can't give God what you can give him. This is not something that I can come and say, here, here's what you're gonna give. But don't discredit yourself because you don't think you have these grand gifts. Whatever it is this morning, I want you to offer it. What you gotta realize is in John chapter six, the multiplication miracle came. Why? Because there was worship that was offered. The worship wasn't a song. It wasn't something burning on the altar. It was a lunch. Worship is moments where you give to God. I know that we want to encounter him, but this is a moment where you say, here's the smallest thing that I have. I don't know if I possess many things, but here's what I have. Remember one time, keep your hands up. One time there was this bus driver and he goes, Brian, I didn't realize the purpose of my life until I heard this. Now I know that I'm not just called to be a bus driver. I'm called to prophesy to young people and call out what God sees in them.